Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. afternoon and i'm sorry this evening good af good evening and welcome to political prisoner radio let me get my mind right because i seem to be confused about what time of day it is uh we are so glad that you could join us tonight again this is a weekly broadcast uh comes on every sunday night at nine o'clock p.m eastern time following time for awakening radio want to welcome in those who were listening to that program which was running kind of long so sorry to interrupt but we have to um you know get our program on air um on this program we talk about political prisoners first and foremost but we also talk about a lot of the issues that our political prisoners were involved in fighting like police brutality like racism and white supremacy like american imperialism and occupation of foreign lands and and so you know it is very important um that we do this program and i do want to welcome in the co-producer and co-host sister amijo uh how you doing tonight sis Hey, Scotty, good evening. Um, I'm just like a lot of other people around the country. Uh, got my eyes on Ohio, Cleveland, mm-hmm. Dayton, you know? Right, right. I mean, I'm tripping on this judge. This is basically, for those that don't know what we're talking about, um, I know the female's name was Melissa Williams. I can't remember the black male's name that was in the car with her, uh, who also got killed. Do you recall their names? Yeah, well, um, our lead um, speaker, yeah, our our lead speaker tonight, um, uh, Sister Zakia uh, Sinkara um, Jabir, um, she's in um, Dayton, and um, Sister Zakia, are you on the line with us? Uh, no, Is she she's on the line with us. No, yes, she sorry? hasn't called okay. in yet. Okay, all right. So, um, she will be, um, on the line to, um, update us, give us more information about the history and everything that's been happening in Dayton, Cleveland, and, um, in Ohio in general. Um, you know, from the case of John Crawford to, you know, to Mayor Rice to, um, now the acquittal of this officer, uh, Borello here, um, who is accused of, uh, shooting. Um, at, um, the two Tim- people, uh, Timothy Russell, Timothy Russell huh? and Melissa Williams. Yeah. 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 For those that don't remember that case, um, they were riding in a car that allegedly backfired and the cops claimed that it sounded like gunfire. They thought it was gunfire. So, uh, they chased these people down and they fired over a hundred shots into, uh, the car. Melissa Williams, uh, was a passenger in that car and the only cop, killer cop that was put on trial for manslaughter charges was Michael Brelo. Now, this is what trips me out. The judge in that case, uh, Cuyahoga County, uh, common pleas court judge, John O'Donnell, 
in a strange and confusing verdict sound that he found, he said that he found beyond a reasonable doubt that Brelo fired at least one fatal shot into the victim's chest, but he could not determine that the other fatal shots came from Brelo's gun. Therefore, he found Brelo innocent of the charge of voluntary manslaughter. Now, let me translate that now. Now, he said that beyond a shadow of a doubt, without, you know, beyond reasonable doubt, that this man fired a, uh, at least one fatal shot, but we know he fired a bunch of shots, but he fired it. He's the one that jumped on the hood of the car. And, and this woman died as a result, okay, of being shot. You determined that he was one of the killers, but then you're going to determine that he's innocent because you don't know if all the fatal shots came from his gun. Now, before we welcome in our guests, I just want, because this is Political Prisoner Radio, and we just in the past weeks have been talking about the anniversary of the uh, uh, move bombing. And not in, was that the same case? Because, you know, move had a number of different incidents with Philadelphia police. But the move nine were convicted, all nine were convicted of killing one cop. And, you know, we talked about how that cop was, was shot, uh, from the back. Uh, the, I think he was shot in the back of the head. I'm not sure. But, you know, they convicted all nine of them, even though this cop was only shot once. And we suspect it was by friendly fire. Okay. And so all, so in that case, you got nine black people going to prison for one cop getting shot and, you know, no, no effort to determine who fatal, who fired that fatal shot. But, you know, in this case here, oh, since we don't know, you know, that he's fired all of the fatal bullets, we know he fired at least one, but we don't know he fired all of them. We going to set them free. I mean, if that ain't a bunch of crap, um, man, anyway, we do have our guests on as we are going to be focusing on Ohio, uh, tonight and so at this time we do want to welcome on sister uh zakia do we have you on the line sis yes i'm here okay welcome welcome uh sister amija will you take over please yeah sure i'm actually having um you there yes yes okay i was actually having um some technical issues uh with my phone um so uh, let me introduce uh, Sister Zakia uh, Sankara Jabir is a parent advocate and executive director of Racial Justice Now, um, short for RJN, is a community-based organization made up of educators, parents, youth, clergy, and grassroots activists. RJN is dedicated to fighting institutional and systemic racism by focusing on human rights. RJN seeks to empower other grassroots advocates to challenge systemic racism by organizing and holding people in power accountable. Through her advocacy at RJN, Zakia trains and acts as an advocate on behalf of other parents at suspension and expulsion hearings and at IEP meetings. In addition to, Zakia does policy work at the local and state level, pushing for systemic changes in school discipline codes of conduct and state law changes around zero tolerance. Zakia is also co-chair of the Dignity in Schools uh, campaign, which is a national coalition of youth, parents, educators, lawyers, and advocates working to ensure children are treated with dignity and fairness in schools. Zakia studied organizational leadership at Wittenberg University and worked as a human resources professional for the state of Ohio Department of Developmental Disabilities for nearly 11 years before co-founding Racial Justice Now in 2012. This uh, is Ikea is married with two children and resi- currently resides in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, welcome, sister, to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, this is for clarification for your listeners. Uh, my name is Zakia Sankara Jabbar. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> so welcome to the show. Um, you know, we've had a lot of... Uh, you know, side discussion, uh, personally, uh, as parents and talking about our son. Um, but tonight I really wanted to, um, delve into, um, you know, what's happening, um, in, in Dayton, what's happening in, in Ohio, uh, what's on the ground movement work around, uh, police terrorism and genocide and, um, 
you know, and just offering our love and solidarity um, from Baltimore, you know. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, obviously, you know, a lot of my work, you know, is surrounding, you know, racial and educational justice. Um, obviously, you know, we do political education. Uh, we do meet once a month with parents and, like I said, other grassroots activists. Um, with political education, this educates the community, you know, um, on history, you know, from a social um, political and educational perspective. With regards to uh, police accountability and police murder, you know, one of the biggest things, you know, that we do at Racial Justice Now is, like, we're definitely not a part of the mainstream when it comes to our language that we normally use with community members um, and even how we talk about things and how we frame things, you know, uh, with the language. For example, we use state violence, right, uh, legal lynchings. So obviously, you know, in communities like ours, you know, we, we tend to be factioned off, um, you know, you know, no matter basically how we uh, view the world from our political perspective. And so because of that, you know, obviously we have people who support us, and then we have people who stay as far away from us as they possibly can, right? Um but I think that's, you know, one of the things that we pride ourselves on is being unapologetic, you know, about how we deal with these things. And obviously, you know, we turn on the news or we get on the social media and we see, right, you know, we are continuously being murdered um, and, and the state upholding it, right? So I wasn't surprised by the verdict. I uh, wasn't surprised that the state even refused um, to even press charges against the uh, killers, of John Crawford, um, which happened in the suburb of Dayton right here uh, last year. So one of the things that we try to do, uh, like I said, with community members, is just really get people um, to raise their level of consciousness, right, change the way we view the system, um, get away from, not, 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 not vote, but, right, get away from thinking that electoral politics in and of itself is going to save us. Um, so that's just a little bit about, you know, what we try to do. There's other organizations, obviously, that, um, you know, they'll stage sit-ins and, you know, some of the more um, 60s-esque sort of protests and so forth. Uh, for us, politically, you know, we don't really get into that because we feel like there's no changes that really come with that. In fact, we were very strong supporters, uh, stood in solidarity, you know, with the rebellion that happened there in Baltimore. Right, right. So, um, can you um, explain to us some of the things that um, is taking place now? I know on Facebook you had sent me. Um, well, I saw that you that there was uh, there's a crowdrise fund now um, for um, Cleveland uh, for legal and um, bail. Um, can you, um, I guess, give our listeners uh, a, a quick uh, understanding of? Uh, what you know right now that's happening, like, on the ground right there? Well, I've been following, like I said, a few of the people, you know, that I know that live in Cleveland. Actually, I have a lot of family that lives in Cleveland, sisters. My father uh, lives in Cleveland. Um, from what I know is that, you know, there's still protests, you know, going on. They're still, you know, very organized and peaceful. I know that um, there's some people that I'm um, familiar with from the Ohio Student Association um, there who, you know, had actually organized on the same day that the verdict came down, uh, the Tamir Rice um, Memorial mm-hmm. March to the Prosecutor's Office for Cuyahoga County, which is the county where Cleveland is. And so um, I've been keeping in contact with them. I know that a number of people, including a young man from here in Dayton, was arrested um, there's a bail fund set up, and right now, literally speaking, you know, there are people who um, are staged and obviously surrounded by state troopers and Cleveland police sitting outside of the Quicken Loans Arena where the Cleveland Cavaliers is taking on the Atlanta Hawks right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I just right, wanna... very similar to what we what we did here in Baltimore Sister with Mija. the uh, Orioles game. Sister Meja, I just want to let the listeners know that we have shared the link uh to that crowdrise.com legal yeah. and bail assistance for Cleveland that's on our Black Talk Radio Network Facebook page as well as our political prisoner Facebook page please pitch in what you can Yes, thank you. And uh, we, uh, uh, like I said, you know, Cleveland, uh, geographically speaking, just to let the listeners know, 
Uh, Dayton, where we are, is in southwest Ohio, so Cleveland is about three hours away. It's up in northeast Ohio, so, um, you know, kind of give folks, you know, a sort of landscape of Ohio uh, to know where we are, you know, and where Cleveland is and how that's situated uh, from us. Right. That's like um, here in Baltimore, you know, we suffer from a lot of police brutality here, but there are other surrounding counties and jurisdictions in the state of Maryland that also have high emphasis, you know, police brutality like Prince George County. Um, Prince George County is known uh, for being very brutal, and they actually deploy um, the most amount of SWAT teams. They actually deploy uh, three SWAT teams a day in Prince George County. You know, and then of course uh, Baltimore County as well. Yeah, um, my uh, my mother-in-law actually lives in Prince George's County. Um, yeah, I think that you know, I, I think honestly, you know, a, as a community, really, we have to um, deal with what's happening with us. We really got to deal with our cognitive dissonance. There's no one coming to save us, right? We really got to get serious about organizing. Um, holding even our own institutions accountable, you know, um, with regards to our places of worship, you know, other other institutions, whether we're part of Greek organizations, um, you know, we really have to challenge ourselves, right? Um, do we really want to be free, right? Do we really want to see, you know, people uh, who look like us, right, just being murdered, um, being literally legally lynched in 2015, um, you know, I mean, I just think that these are some really hard conversations to have, and I think people really need to make some decisions on how serious they really want to be, you know, how serious, you know, they are about organizing, um, you know, and dealing with power, you know, not just political, but dealing with power. You know, uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that the judge, you know, right, um, it wasn't even a 12-person uh, jury. I right, mean, right. It was I a bench think, trial. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think that's deep. I mean, and then, you know, now we have people who went back and looked at this judge's record to see how his uh, relationship is with the FOP. He was mm -hmm. endorsed by the Paternal Order of Police. Mm -hmm. I mean, we really have to deal with that, man. I mean, we really have to see, you know, and he's a Democrat, right? I mean, who is the largest voting bloc for Democrats in this country other than black people? Mm -hmm. I mean, so... I think that these are some of the hard things that we got to deal with. These are some of the hard questions we have to ask ourselves collectively across this country. You know, it's happening all over, and I don't think the rebellions are going to stop. Um, I, honestly, you know, and I'm going to let you get in, brother. Honestly, I was not surprised that um, what happened in Ferguson and what happened, uh, you know, in Baltimore did not happen here in Ohio. I just was not surprised. Um, you know, it seems like the level of tolerance for the people, and I live here, um, for this, for the, for, for this type of brutality, I mean, to kill a 12 year old, I mean, in the community, just silent, right? Not silent. I, I don't want people to get upset with me, but the level of frustration that we saw in Ferguson, right? The level of frustration that we see from our brothers and our young people in Baltimore, I just was not surprised that it didn't happen here. Well, it, it's still early, yes, sis. It seems like things are starting to wrap, uh, ramp up and perhaps, you know, we have some people coming out of that cognitive dissonance that you spoke of. But something you said earlier that I thought was very important, you said if people really want to be free. And, and I right. think that's important because we got a lot of people walking around thinking they are free. You know, we yeah. got a lot of people walking around thinking slavery was abolished in 1865 when clearly the 13th Amendment has an exception clause that says we can put, we can put you into slavery as punishment for crime. And it is no accident that we have the world's largest prison plantation full of people who are not in there for rape, not in there for robbery, but the vast majority of them are in there are for people who use drugs to self-medicate, okay, and, and non-violent so-called drugs. And the, and the police are just, a, this police terrorism and violence, and I also got to put in there slave catching. That's what's going yeah. on because we wouldn't, if it was not for the police, we wouldn't have the world's largest prison population filled with black bodies. No, I think that's absolutely right. And I think that, you know, while I'm, 
you know, certainly supportive of other organizers. I'm, I, I would never, you know, uh, diminish the work, you know, that other people around this state, you know, are doing around, you know, uh, police murder and around even calling for, you know, charges in the Tamir Rice case. But what I would caution is, is what, 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 how are we going to elevate our ass, right? How are we going to elevate our demands? Are we really ready to get down the way that this country is used to getting down? And mm-hmm. I just think that we're not there yet, unfortunately. I think that, honestly, what we've seen in Ferguson and Baltimore was the closest, right? And then you have these people who are in our communities. We all know who they are, whether they're, you know, I call them, quote-unquote, you know, uh, Negro preachers, you know, uh, Elijah Muhammad, you know, you know, quoted that a while ago as far as, you know, preachers being one of the, um, you know, the biggest impediments in our communities. Um, and I think that, I, I think that some, some, some of that, uh, we have to deal with that in, inside, right? And I'm not saying that all of that is laid at their door, but I do think that the church is a very large, um, very large part of our communities and it's one of the most stable institutions in our communities that we financially support week in and week out and the transfer of our money from the church into uh, white European-owned banks. I mean, so a lot of this has to do with economics. A lot of this has to do with you know, everything. And mm-hmm. I just think that for us as a community, we have to deal with it from all of those different angles. And I just don't see where a collectively, right, that that's being done. Right. One of one of your main focus is, you know, education. And um we often talk about, you know, issues associated to, you know, the school to prison pipeline and you know, Malcolm X has that, you know, one saying you don't let your enemy educate your children. So right. you know, how and we've thought and, and you and I have talked a, a lot about um homeschooling. Um so I guess my question would be to you is um, how do you see, you know, education? I know you had mentioned political education before, um, but how do you see, um, you know, education or instances of homeschooling and those issues associated to, you know, the, the school of prison pipeline? Um, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts? So, yes, that's a great question, and I think, you know, all of those things are uh, interrelated and connected. I think that education um, is a huge piece how we unravel, um, you know, the systemic oppression, you know, that we live under. And I think that uh, we have to be rooted in an education um, that's, that's rooted in who we are uh, and also rooted in our 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 emancipation, our our liberation. I believe in education for liberation. Uh, a lot of the work that I use is from um, a lot of the uh, uh, curriculum, I'm sorry, that I use even with my own child is from um, the Kamali Academy, which is a homeschooling collaborative based in New Orleans, uh, started by Dr. Samari Kamara. And uh, all of that uh, work is is African-centered, right? Um, you know, Amos Wilson, you know, Asa G. Hilliard, uh, famous, you know, uh, African uh, scholar uh, from Georgia State University, did a lot of work in this area. You know, there's research and studies that support, you know, the fact that our children learn better. They do well, you know, when they are educated, you know, in who they are. You know, they have a strong racial identity mm-hmm. and a strong uh, racial pride. So I think that all of that has to be um, a part of it because you're right. I mean, right now, you know, the institution of education is definitely not to educate our children for liberation. It's definitely not to educate, you know, our children into uh, developing a better, more holistic system, you know, for, for people like us and, and for people, period. Um, the education uh, system that we know today, whether it's K through 12 or, you know, even, even you know, higher education is mm-hmm. to keep the system and to perpetuate the system of oppression that, that's already there. It's to keep things the way that they are. It's to keep things the status quo. Um, and so I think that's, that's, that's definitely a hard pill to swallow because so many of us, you know, and, you know, not just in our community, you know, is just on this rat wheel, you know, of trying to work, you know, and keep up, you know, our um, – just our, our our daily living expenses, right? I mean, so it's really hard, you know, to to try to um, 
find that time, right, uh, to educate, you know, your own children while you're trying to work. And many of us are working service industry jobs mm-hmm. or other, you know, types of jobs that just does not allow for what we need to do. And so that's why I think, that's why I always think more in terms of what we can do collectively and what we can do together and how we can tap into institutions that we already have. And it may be, you know, maybe harder, um, but we have to begin to be creative, right? We have to begin to um, really deal with not just um, some people in our community, but we really need to be trying to reach the vast majorities of our community. So I actually work with, you know, not just parents who want to homeschool or supplement education at home, but I also try to work with the school system that we have, you know, some people may think that that's an oxymoron, but I think that that's where the vast majority of our children are, right? Mm-hmm. How can I not, you know, deal with that system? How can I not deal with the fact that we're still paying our property taxes right. when you live in the community? You have to hold them accountable. Um, I think, you know, until we can figure out a way that we're not going to pay these taxes, we need to hold <laughs> them accountable. And that's my position. <laughs> I have a follow-up question to the uh, school-to-prison pipeline. Uh, this past mm-hmm. Wednesday night on one of the programs on the network, New Abolitionist Radio, which focuses on 21st century slavery and human trafficking here in the United States. But we um, had the pleasure to talk to Jamie Trinko of Inlace. Uh, that's E-N-L-A-C-E. And also Cecilia Cortez of the United Federation of Teachers in New York State. And they recently voted to adopt a resolution to investigate current pension investments in prisons. Cause a lot, you know, that's something that we have talked about for the past two years. The, you know, the, uh, school to prison pipeline is more real than people realize when you have teacher unions and their pensions right. are invested in private prisons. And, and so it was right. good to hear that the New York State United Teachers, you know, uh, 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 assembly uh, voted to investigate whether or not they are invested in prisons and if they are to immediately move to divest from prisons. Is that a conversation that's being had in Ohio that you know of? Uh, I'm familiar with it. I can say that I'm familiar with it, but a larger conversation happening around the state, I'm not aware of. If it's happening, it's, um, it's definitely not, um, uh, happening locally uh, in, in my community. Um, and I, I have to say, you know, locally and, you know, even statewide, at, at, um, the, uh, the, the teachers' unions um, have been very oppositional to parent organizing. Um, they've been very oppositional into changing codes of conduct that will keep our children in school instead of pushing them out. Um, and we're not, again, we're not talking about children bringing weapons to school. We're not talking about, you know, uh, children, you know, doing some more egregious things. We're talking about, you know, just kicking kids out for the vast majority, you know, of the suspensions that happen, not just in Dayton, but around the state of Ohio, is for disruptive behavior or defiance or willful defiance, you know, as defined in other states. You know, so... So, and, 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 and you have to really deal with, again, going back to not just implicit bias, but explicit bias, dealing with institutional and systemic racism, right? How do, how are, you know, majority white female teacher pool, you know, working in inner cities, viewing our young black children, our black boys, you know, in particular, you know, who, who leads, uh, the push out, not just in Ohio, not just in Dayton, but nationwide. Um, and so those are some of the conversations that we're having. I mean, we're really, you know, digging deeper and talking about, you know, white domination, white supremacy, talking about history, you know, talking about unions, um, and even how, you know, some unions were founded, you know, of course, post-Civil um, uh, War. I mean, so that's why I think it's extremely important not to just talk about, you know, what's happening today um, as some abstract but linking it to what has happened historically. Right. And if you see what I'm saying, and mm-hmm. so many times, you know, in organizing circles and in, in, in other circles, you know, that's not being done. We're trying to work on a problem that we ourselves don't fully understand. And I, and I see that, you know, even in certain circles that I'm in, you know, even um, nationally. 
Um, at this time, we're going to take a short break, but before I go to the break, I want to let the listeners know if you have a question or a comment for either of the hosts or for our guests tonight, uh, you can give us a call, 530-881-1400. The access code is 549-032-POUND. Uh, welcome to those already dialed in. If you want to comment, hit star six. And the number one that'll put you in the caller's queue. Or otherwise, I'll just assume you just want to listen. We'll be back on the other side. You're listening to Political Prisoner Radio, uh, with, with myself, Scotty Reed, Sister Amija Whitlock, and our guest tonight, uh, Sister Zakia. And, and, you know, uh, help me with your name. Is it Sankara Jabbar? So, Sankara, like Thomas Sankara, the uh, African revolutionary leader, leader of Burkina Faso. So it's Zakia, uh, Sankara Jabbar, yes. Okay, thank, thank you. I, I need help with these African names. You know, they stole my native tongue from me, so, uh, every once in a while I have a little problem pronouncing names. We'll be back on the other side. We do whatever we do to survive. Drop it! Yeah! You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Waco, Texas. Whenever I see the name Waco pop up in the news, I sense something big is coming. Years ago, when a small church community fell into bitter conflict with federal and local government officials, it would blossom into the nightshade of death. We remember it as Branch Davidian, when men, women, and children perished in a maelstrom of fire. It reminded me of the MOVE massacre of May 13, 1985, just marking its 30-year anniversary. And it also reminds me of the recent bust of over 170 bikers involved in the crazy violence at Waco's Twin Peaks restaurant recently. When Bond was set at $1 million for each defendant, or $170 million total, I felt it even more. Branch Davidian, move, and now these bikers had something in common. All had been demonized. If 170 armed bikers were equally involved in the violence, there would have been more, far more, than nine people dead. But it is a big case. And careers are made and grown. Already, Waco officials are salivating for the death penalty. But McLennan County, Texas, ain't Manhattan. Trial costs will undoubtedly skyrocket. And that ain't even counting defense counsel for 170 men, many of whom will have antagonistic defenses or bikers flipping on other bikers. Soon... When the fires cool, when passions die down, when some officials begin looking at county budgets, perhaps sanity will prevail. They may be banditos, but they ain't demons. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio. And welcome back to Political Prisoner Radio. Ladies, please continue. Uh, yes, uh, Sister Zakia. I guess on the flip side of the show, um, a lot of the uh, ongoing uh, movement around fighting against police terrorism and genocide um, shows us as uh, sisters out on the front lines. And, um, you know, I just wanted to get your thoughts on us as women being on the front lines, and how in um, many situations, um, you know, in, in the white community, when, when white feminists often speak about reproductive rights, you know, their issues associated to reproductive rights generally revolve around the issues of uh, ending pregnancies. So where in instances that you know, sisters are now talking about um, you know, reproductive rights regarding, um, you know, police brutality and feeling the constant assault, you know, um, on uh, black bodies. Um, so I just wanted to um, 
you know, get your your thoughts and, and your opinions on, um, you know, us as, as women um, out on the front line? Well, I mean, I think that it, historically, I mean, black women, whether we get the credit in a history book or not, um, we, we've always uh, been on the front lines for justice. Um, we've always, well, one of my heroes is uh, Fannie Lou Hamer. Um, uh, other, you know, my organizing hero is Ella Baker. I mean, so these black women and African women, um, we have a history of this, right? Um, we have a history right. of being on the front line for justice, you know, for our families. And I love the way that you frame this reproductive uh, rights issue because I think you're absolutely right. Reproductive rights, you know, for us as black women, we want our children um, who choose to bring children into this world to be able to live full lives without having to worry about, you know, being killed um, at 12 years old by a police officer, you know, for, 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 for playing literally in a park. I mean, so... Um, I think that this conversation around reproductive rights and reframing it um, for black women um, is being elevated in certain spaces, and I think that, you know, it, it should continue to be elevated in how we frame what reproductive rights, um, you know, can mean to us as well. Right, and, you know, and not just, you know, children, but, you know, the whole issue of, you know, stealing, you know, the lives of husbands and grandfathers and, you know, taking away, you know, loved ones and, you know, stealing, you know, the future generations, um, you know, regarding and, and traumatizing, traumatizing families and family units, you know, uh, with this police terrorism and genocide, you know. Um, so it just goes mm -hmm. to me, like, when I think about it, it just goes so much, like, deeper you know, into the the white supremacist um, society that that we live in, and um, you know, it's it's far far deeper than than what some people um, have have been discussing here. You know, um, and that and as you were saying earlier, you know, people um, getting having those real conversations, and you know, I've seen certain female friends of mine say on Facebook that, you know, um, to, to other women, um, while they, you know, found out that they were pregnant, they were um, immediately um, upset to hear that they were going to, um, you know, give birth to a male child. And for people to feel like, you know, they have to be, that they're scared, you know, of, um, of, of losing, um of a, a family member of losing a child um you know that that's that's difficult to have that serious conversation that's that's very difficult i mean you're right i mean i've talked to women who are afraid um to have sons i mean i've i've i've, I've heard those conversations as well um you know really being afraid um once they find out, you know, that they're pregnant and, and then once, you know, they find out the sex of the child, you know, adds even more anxiety. I mean, this thing, like you said, is very deep. Um, and it requires study. I mean, this is one of the things, you know, that I think is a turn off, right? Um, to, to people because in order for us to really get out of this, it's not going to be from a surface level of understanding. I mean, it's going to take a certain level of study. Um, that's going to take some real commitment. And again, you know, I talked about, you know, families, you know, being on this, you know, perpetual rat wheel to, you know, meet basic needs. You know, I think that that's why, you know, once, as I say, so those of us who are serious, right, we really have to prioritize, you know, and make sure, you know, that we're, um, you know, spending enough time, you know, like I said, really studying, really trying to understand, you know, white supremacy, white domination, you know, the economic system, you know, that we live in under capitalism, imperialism, you know, really understanding all of these isms. Um, you know, a lot of the scholars, you know, that I refer to and that I read a lot, um, you know, really had a good, really have a good grasp, you know, on, on a lot of those um, uh, isms that I just, you know, referenced. One of the 
you know, people that I, you and I have talked about, you know, that I, that I, that I read and I study all the time is Dr. Amos Wilson. And I remember making a comment, you know, it's probably been, uh, several months ago now that I was really surprised, you know, in this organizing work, you know, that his work isn't used more often, you know, because he actually presented viable solutions, you know, for our community. Um, you know, he's written several books. You know, his magnum opus was obviously, you know, Blueprint for Black Power. Um, he talks a lot about, you know, power and understanding power dynamics and power relationships, you know, um, you know, not just in education but politically and everything. And he had a really good grasp of, you know, understanding, you know, economics, which is, you know, something that I think is missing from our largest civil rights organizations, you know, out here fighting on the front lines is that I don't see a critique or I don't see even a plan of action around economics for our community. Um, so, like, you know, I, I'm, it's, it's really all over the place, but I think that, you know, these are all the issues that we're going to have to come together and really deal with, you know what I mean, to be able to have the kind of power to deal with the kind of just straight up murder by, I mean, by law enforcement, just straight up legal lynchings. I mean, I, I don't know what else really needs to happen to us for us to get serious. Mm. Uh, Sister Mejo, I do believe uh, we have our other guests on the line. Eric Code 347, who do we have joining us? Uh, Russell. Russell Shooks third. Hey, Brother Russ, good to speak with you again. Good to speak with you, too. So, um, glad to be on the show. This evening. I'm glad Hello? you guys are having the show this evening. Hello? Yes, Sister Mejo. Yes. Yeah. Hey, Russ. Hey there. Hey, um, I guess, um, hey, Russ. Um, Sister Zaki, if you can give us, um, some final thoughts, um, before we move into, um, our next segment. Uh, sure. Uh, thanks. First of all, thanks for having me on. Um, I appreciate it. Um, I think that uh, we can, we should continue to um, dialogue and uh, talk about you know the issues that are facing our communities. I think that uh, police murder, you know, uh, state-sanctioned violence is a very serious issue, and I think that um, this is something that we can continue to uh, discuss. Um, as we try to, you know, organize our communities and as we really should be expecting, you know, uh, more rebellions. I mean, I think similar to, you know, kind of what happened, um, you know, in the, in, in the 60s, you know, there was, uh, rebellions that sparked, you know, kind of continuously, um, you know, due to, you know, all the oppressive forces that we face. But, um, if, if folks, you know, want to, uh, find out more about us, they can obviously go to our website, which is rjnohio.org, uh, and they can also follow us on our Facebook and Twitter at Racial Justice Now. Thank you. Oh, uh, thank you, Sister Zakia. And I have linked to the Facebook page. I wasn't able to find that, that website. Can you give it again? Absolutely. It's uh, www.rjn, uh, so that's the, you know, the mm -hmm. acronym for Racial Justice Now, the initials rjnohio.org. So RJN Ohio is all one word, no spaces, okay. dot org. Okay, okay. And, and before you leave us, I just want want to uh, say it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I believe this is the first time we've had an opportunity to participate in the broadcast together. But Cynthia, Cynthia uh, former Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney, was on an earlier program, Time for Awakening, which comes on before us. And she was basically saying some of the same things you just said, sister. And she even quoted Malcolm in saying that, you know, Malcolm in his speech, the ballot or the bullet talked about the political immaturity of black yeah. folks and she said it just seems to be you know that that immaturity persists to this day and that black folks don't understand politics and it's not just about voting but politics is about power and policy so some of the Absolutely. same some of the same things you've been saying tonight she was just saying them not even an hour ago so again yeah. uh definitely i want to stay in touch with you and um let you know you always have a platform anytime you want to come on and get something out to the people thank you i appreciate it you're welcome and you have a great night you too thank you sir bye-bye
Thank you. Sister Meijel. Hey there. So, um, and I guess in this segment, uh, we wanted to bring on um, Brother Russell Maroon Show Jr. to um, get an update on uh, what is happening um, with uh, his father, Maroon. Uh, Russell, are you still with us? Yes, I am. How are you? Okay. I'm good. Thanks for coming on. No problem, no problem. I'm glad that you guys are open to have me on to talk about my father's case. And if you would, can you uh, give us the latest update uh, with your father? Um, how's his health doing, first and foremost? Well, you know, actually, as you know, um, as the situation is, you know, being in solitary, you know, for over 20 years and, you know, mm-hmm. being 70 um, in prison, um, you know, his health is as good as it could be. Under those um, conditions, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer, you know, over six months ago, and he had to struggle uh, to get them to just really properly diagnose it and then to get the treatment for it and a specific style of treatment where he would have to leave the prison on a daily basis for over 50 days. So um, it was a real struggle, but we are glad that the global campaign to support Maroon and also family and friends and supporters came out um, and supported and put uh, proper pressure on the prison um, that I allow my father to... Uh, to, you know, get that proper treatment. And um, so his health right now is good. But outside of that, I think more importantly is the book um, that he released uh, this year, Maroon the Implacable. And uh, that book is having a major effect um, and connecting a lot of dots in reference to what's happening now, police brutality-wise, mm-hmm. Um what happened in Ferguson and Baltimore and possibly what could happen in Ohio um, and just uh, how a lot of our political prisoners, specifically my father, is directly connected to um, police brutality and his case in the Philly Five is directly connected to abuse being murdered in Philadelphia and them retaliating. And so... Um, this has been going on, and this is directly connected to um, our our independent struggles for freedom and uh, humanity from you know uh, prior to the '60s. Mm-hmm. So um, this you know this goes uh, back before Emmett Till. But uh, again, we have to um, acknowledge it and know our history, and more than anything, be strategic and try to come up with better ways to um, garner our freedom. You, you you know um again our our former guest who was just on uh sister Zakia she was just talking about the need of knowing our history and and connecting you know the, looking at the police uh terrorism the struggle against police terrorism and, and connecting the dots and looking at it in a historical context and I've often said on my own program we ain't we are not facing anything new this is not new. The police been around since the 1600s, catching slaves and brutalizing black folks. Okay, and, and so this is nothing new. And, and 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 so you know, I just I just hope you know that the younger generation of activists and people part of today's movement will get connected and know you know that that they're not fighting anything new this has been done before that we need to study the tactics that were used before what was effective what was not effective but most importantly recognizing our political prisoners because those people out there struggling in the streets today could be the political prisoners of tomorrow and so I think that it is very important that that especially you know our young people make that connection connection back 
to our political prisoners. And for those listening who may not have ever heard of Russell Maroon Schultz, uh, he is a community activist, founding member of the Black Unity Council, a former member of the Black Panther Party, and a soldier in the Black Liberation uh, Army. And and as uh, you you just stated, um, he has been uh, in in prison for how long now? I know it's over twenty something years. How long has he been imprisoned? Uh, Russ, are you still there? Hello? Yes, I'm here. My father my father actually has been in prison since 1973. That's over 40 years. Over 40. Over years in solitary confinement, which we just got him out into general population. But yes, my father's been in jail since 1973. Since, so that, that places him among some of the longest held political prisoners in the United States. Yes, yes, and um, specifically in my father's case, um, my father was earmarked by Jagger, who was one of the cases to basically he made sure that he would never be released from prison mm-hmm. um, just because of uh, his escapes and the the type of spotlight that the case garnered in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Now another important work uh, again and this is what this is what um really amazes me about many of our political prisoners despite the harsh conditions often torturous conditions that they are held held under uh, many of them still have not given up their activism and they continue with from behind bars and I believe the last time you was on the program we talked about the lawsuit that your father filed to end the torturous conditions of, of, of solitary confinement something that the United Nations uh, reckon the international community recognizes as, as torture but your father was you know filed that lawsuit um, you know and, and so where what where does that stand? Well, the lawsuit uh, pretty much is in a state of settlement in reference to in reference to the punitive damages, and that's where the state is basically trying to negotiate what the number is for having someone in solitary confinement for twenty years of their life, and mm-hmm. where the where the state is basically is the judge has uh, found them guilty of keeping him in solitary confinement and and has found them uh, guilty of uh, 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 this type of treatment and they are responsible for punitive damages um, yet they are saying that um, they understand and that they would rather pay the lawyers instead of ever given my dad any money because uh, the prison system feels that uh, he has physically violated uh, guards and uh, people who are administrative now and um, that they will for uh, they will, will not for lack of better terms uh, bury a hatchet or, 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 or forgive him or, or worse uh, have the state pay him for uh, uh, any any torture or solitary confinement that um, they inflicted. Sister Meadow. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm just having several problems with my phone tonight. It's like, for whatever reason, it keeps like buzzing in my hand and my um, face screen keeps going blank. Mm. But, um, yeah, I wanted to also loop the conversation um, as we, you know, talk about history here in Ohio, um, you know, um, as a show that focuses on political prisoners, um, we would be very remiss if we did not um, take um, time to discuss the history of the Ohio Senate and, um you know, uh, United members of the United Freedom Front and several of our political prisoners that are still inside. I want, including, right. um, mm-hmm. 
I, I want to, for those who don't know who the United Freedom Front is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they are, I believe, well, all of the Ohio seven of the political prisoners or, or people who went on trial known as the Ohio seven were white. Is that correct? Yes. And this, this is what Malcolm X had to say about white people in the struggle. We need allies who are going to help us achieve a victory not allies who are going to tell us to be nonviolent. if a white if a white man wants to be an ally uh ask him what does he think of john brown you know what john brown did he went to war against white people to help free slaves he he wasn't nonviolent, and that was uh, Malcolm X on July the fifth in a speech in in 1964. Uh, none of us can be free till all of us are free. And um, the only two remaining prisoners, I believe, is Tom Manning and and Jan Lehman, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And and Jan has a very interesting history. Um, cause his, uh, his introduction into like movement work was, uh, fighting, uh, against, uh, apartheid South Africa. Um, so he is one of few political prisoners whose, uh, direct connections to fighting, um, against, uh, the apartheid state, um, that's actually still incarcerated for being involved within that struggle. Mm-hmm. Now, all of the actions of the United Freedom Front were aimed at at also sabotaging corporations in New York City area. Um, that blood that the blood of uh, all the nations through the genocide of imperialism um, said that. And I'm reading from a PDF that I'm gonna share about the Ohio Seven on our political pri- prisoner page. These actions serve the purpose of making these corporations' participation in oppression costly and more difficult. They also aid in creating a much-needed resistance movement in the United States. These are aims we agree with. And, and so they, I mean, they were accused of committing some re- what, what I would call revolutionary acts. And, and Jan Lehman, well, both Tom Manning and Jan, we have uh, played clips um, from them through prison radio, and I have one that we will close out with tonight. It's about five minutes long, but I'm not. I'm gonna uh, end the program with with that clip from him. So, um, yeah, they were known as the uh, Ohio Ohio Seven, and and Tom and um, Jan are the only ones who uh, remain in prison. And shout out to to Raymond Lavashore. Uh It's been a while since he's been on. We're gonna have to get him back on uh, here soon. And shout out to Richard Williams, who passed away also. Most definitely, most definitely. Well, we're coming up on the remaining minutes, um, our closing minutes of the program. But, Brother Russ, would, would you please give out any kind of contact information? Where can people get, you know, the book? that your father wrote uh, and um, also is there any Facebook pages is there a website you know where they can get information on on how they could even write your father because I think you know letter writing is also important you know uh, for these political prisoners to hear from us on the outside and to know that we do care and appreciate their sacrifice but any any closing statements and contact information you would like to give out please do so yeah, um, first and foremost, I wanted to say free them all. Um, I just got off the phone with my man, Peanut, you know, on lockdown, and that, you know, basically uh, the system in general and how we are uh, caught up in it um, makes us all political prisoners. Um, obviously, some of us take actions um, against the state, um, which uh, may, may even deem us prisoners of war, um, but uh, some of us unknowingly get caught in the web. Um, so I want to say that. And then also, you can always find information on the Maroon portal at www.russellmaroonshokes.com. That's www.russellmaroonshokes.com. And all of his information is there. He's at greatest for right now. You can write him. You can also go and visit him. You can send him his information. He can put you on his list which has not been able to be done in over 40 years. Mm-hmm. So I encourage you to play my room, go and see them. Buy the book, you can purchase the book on the website. 
Um, you can catch me on tour in D.C. Um, so all y'all Baltimore folks come to D.C. I saw y'all in Baltimore um, and the riots and the rallies, so please come and see me in D.C. on the 23rd. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, June 13th, Juneteenth. Um, I'm in D.C. at my man B-Spot, um, and that is on, uh, on, on, on Georgia and Decatur. So please come through. Uh, again, www.information is on www.russellmaroonshows.com, the Spring Maroon Tour. Um, and so, you know, much love to y'all for giving me the time on y'all radio show. Thanks for me, and much love to the show. Thank you, thank you. Anytime, anytime, brother. Uh, it's the least we could do, uh, and that is what we're here for because, like, you know, Amijo knows and the listeners know that it was only, what, three, about three and a half years ago that I even became aware of political prisoners here in the United States, and that it, that wasn't by accident. That was by design. They, they want to keep us ignorant, you know, uh, of these sorts of things and definitely ignorant of our political prisoners. And so, you know, I feel like this is the very least that I can do to make a contribution to make sure, you know, that they are not made invisible. Sister Mijil, did you have any final comments? Sister Mijil? Sister Mijil still having phone issues? Hello? Yeah, we Hello? hear you now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. You have any final <laughs> no, comments? I was just gonna say, yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, I'm going to keep a watchful eye, you know, on, on Cleveland and, you know, whatever information comes out, I'll be, you know, sure to share it you know, on our political personal radio page and, and on my Facebook page. And, um, you know, there's already been uh, individuals, you know, arrested. Um, so, you know, Cleveland has political prisoners, Baltimore has political prisoners, and, you know, uh, we still don't know all the outcomes of, uh, you know, the, the prisoners from uh, Ferguson and, and mm-hmm. other uh, actions across the country. You know, um, so when people see, you know, those bail funds, um, and people asking for financial assistance or, um, being asked to, to call various numbers on behalf of, uh, prisoners, um, in need, um, we would, we would hope that, you know, if you can't always assist financially, that you would at least try to, uh, make phone calls, um, when we need them. Most definitely. And again, uh, for the specific, uh, bail fund for Cleveland that has been shared to our Facebook page, Political Prisoner Radio, as well as the other page, Black Talk Radio Network. Again, give what you can. You know, even if it's just five dollars, you know, I'm sure, uh, your five dollars with a hundred other people's five dollars, you know, so that, that's how, how you, uh, build a fund. It's just everybody giving what they can. Um, again, uh, Jan Lehman, uh, one of the Ohio seven. He's one of the two remaining prisoners. And we do have, uh, coincidentally, a radio commentary from him. And he's talking about, uh, the closure of the Aboriginal, uh, communities. And I think he's talking about down there in Australia. And, uh, shout out to the people that listen to us on the, uh, radio station down there in Australia that carries, uh, our podcast. And I, uh, and I have not forgotten, um, I got a, um, um, voicemail message from someone in Australia saying, you know, to please, um, recognize that they are down there right now, uh, having mass demonstrations against racism and white supremacy in, in Australia. So, um, thank you for joining us uh, again. Thank you to both our guests for joining us tonight and the information, uh, that they share with our listeners. Again, this show broadcasts every Sunday night at nine o'clock PM Eastern time right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. And this is, uh, courtesy of Prison Radio. This is Jan Lehman. Stop the forced closure of Aboriginal communities. Peace and blessings to all. Australia, 2015. The struggle continues. Stop the forced closures of Aboriginal communities in Western Australia and all across Australia. These were the opening words of a solidarity statement political prisoners in the United States recently sent to Aboriginal communities in Australia. This is Jan Laman, your political prisoner voice coming to you from the federal prison in Tucson, Arizona. 
Let me share some ugly information with you that the mainstream U.S. corporate media is not reporting. The government of the state of Western Australia recently announced the imminent closure of almost 150 Aboriginal communities and towns. By closure, it means that the water and electricity and the schools and healthcare facilities in these towns will be shut down. The Western Australian government has decided and decreed that Aboriginal communities must be located no more than 100 kilometers from large towns or cities. Any Aboriginal towns and communities located further away can be closed. This sounds absurd in the 21st century. This is nothing but a racist, blatantly colonialist assault against the original indigenous people of Australia. This policy really sounds like it is designed to drive people off their land. By emptying Aboriginal areas of their inhabitants, the land becomes available to the huge mining corporations that are closely linked with the Western Australian government. The Western Australian government has tried to explain its policy by labeling Aboriginal communities as quote-unquote dysfunctional. They are trying to demonize these communities by raising issues like alcohol abuse, unemployment, child abuse, and poverty. No doubt such problems do exist in Aboriginal communities, as they unfortunately also do in other sectors of Australian society. This is similar to when conservative politicians here in the U.S. point to drug and alcohol abuse in Native American, black, and brown communities when they want to put more cops in an area or cut back programs or funding for these areas. So the Western Australian government is using old politicians' tricks to justify what is a racist land grab policy. Australia is a large country with vast areas that are lightly populated. Only Aboriginal towns and communities are subject to this policy requiring them to be located within 100 kilometers of majority white large towns or cities. This policy isn't meant for Crocodile Dundee and his mates. This is the Australian government once again going after Aboriginal people still living on their ancestral lands in remote areas which now are suspected of having rich mineral resources. This ugly government policy has met with significant popular opposition. Two large rounds of demonstrations, one in April and one on May 1st, have taken place in towns and cities across Australia. Aboriginal people and Australians of all backgrounds have come out into the streets in the thousands to show their opposition to this unjust policy. This government decree violates international law and the human rights of Aboriginal people. At this juncture, the government is pushing ahead with this policy, but more demonstrations are being planned, and it is expected even more people will come out to show their opposition to this racist, colonialist assault on Aboriginal communities and their land. For more information, you can go to www.sosblackaustralia.com. Let me repeat that. www.sos B-L-A-K-A-U-S-T-R-A-L-I-A dot com. You can also show your support at hashtag SOS Black Australia. That's hashtag, all capital letters, S-O-S-B-L-A-K-A-U-S-T-R-A-L-I-A. This is Jan Laman. Until next time, remember, all around the world, freedom is a constant struggle. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.